0: My guest this week is Aaron Costaganis, who you may have seen in a New York Love Story or straight out of Tompkins, or as Bobby in the fifth episode of Jessica Jones, aka The Sandwich Saved Me. He'll soon be seen in Galen Connell's Blood, Sand, and Gold, and you can catch him right now opposite Lucas Nirverbrug in Tim Kirkman's new drama Lazy Eye, which was released on VOD just last month. Aaron picked the Fisher King. Terry Gilliam's 1991 drama, written by Richard LeGrevenis, starring Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams as two deeply damaged men who stumble into one another on a heroic quest through New York City, though that is, of course, a ridiculous oversimplification. The Fisher King is a testament to the appeal of fantasy when things are at their most chaotic and horrific, and to the way personal connections are the only thing that can save us from ourselves— it's probably my favorite of Gilliam's films And it was a delight to be able to dig into it over Thanksgiving In a room at the Ace Hotel in Manhattan That was not quite as quiet
1: as we would have liked
0: But that seems somehow appropriate Chaos gets into everything
1: This is someone else's movie I just, I think I was I was actually driving Yesterday And thinking What do, like, what do I want to talk about? <laughs> there was like absolutely no reason For it in any like oh, because Mercedes rule is so astonishing. Or like, oh, because this moment is... It's like, no, I, I don't know. I, something about that movie just feels like hyper real in me right now. So, and I don't know why. Let's figure out why. Okay. Let's unpack it. This is great. You no, know,
0: the, <laughs> the impulse choice is always the most interesting yeah, one. Yeah,
1: I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> well, next obvious question. What was your first experience of it? When did you first see it? I saw that movie for the first time when I was like probably in my early teens, I, I tend to do this thing where I like go through director to director opposed to like actor to actor. So I was on a Terry Gilliam trip nice. after having finished like I think everything that Monty Python could have created. I found most of it. And then I sort of branched out into all of his movies and I was like, wait, he made that and that and that. And something about Fisher King, I feel like res it resonated in a way that was like really unique to me in a way that, like that I hadn't seen anything I hadn't seen anything like it and I and he's such a singular directorial voice yeah. the way that he operates the way that he orients shots and the way that he uses you know specific angles or specific perspectives to kind of like give you an eye into what's going on it feels like it really it, it really does bring that conversation of like the art of filmmaking to a, a, a real place where I'm, as like as a viewer, I'm like, oh, I see. He's, this is all on purpose. Everything was thought out in a way that makes me tired. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'm like, God, that would take so much time, like so much time and so much, so much thought. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe I'd have to talk to him. Maybe it's just like a, maybe it's some, maybe something a. It's like the innate impulse too yeah maybe he just like maybe he knows maybe there's something in that way that like a musician sits down and writes a song in five minutes and you're like how did you come up with the how did you ba-ba-ba? and it's like I just it just came out yeah. like maybe there's something about he's dead isn't he Gilliam. yeah, no, oh, good, he's still no, alive. No, no, no. I was just like, I just thought, I said that, I was like, I got to talk to him. And I'm like, wait, did he die recently? He just turned seventy last. I'm just assuming it because it's 2016 that he has also died. Not yet. No, yeah, we're hanging tough. Okay,
0: good. Um, no, I, I, Thank God. one of, and I think, I've, <laughs> yeah, he's he's Hardy, man. Yeah, incredibly hale. Um, one of the, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before. One of the greatest. Accomplishments of my life yeah. over over 30 years in his career is that Terry Gilliam vaguely knows who I am. Oh my God, uh, congratulations. Yeah, I've interviewed him a number of times. And he oh, amazing. Is, yeah, I actually, I've, I know I've told this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I flew myself to New York in 95 for a five-movie junket weekend, the mm-hmm. big Christmas weekend and it was explicitly for 12 Monkeys just yeah. so I could meet him because yeah. uh, I was young and uh, then I could game out the stories that I was selling to make it all work out yeah. but ah, uh, oh, it was so great he's he is just he is the sweetest nicest um, most doomed person like doomed he is the he is the man who <laughs> responds to tragedy or, or not even tragedy mm. but, but he has the worst luck of any creative person I know because you know like the whole Don Quixote thing yep. that is who he was before this We right. uh, at the premiere of the movie uh, of, of 12 Monkeys the first screening the press screening it was the big red carpet gallop Bruce Willis walked in ahead of me it was kind of weird
1: um, <laughs> you like this is normal
0: yeah I mean, it was just insane Um but it was this great big theater with a balcony, and that's where they put the press. We were up there, mm-hmm. and the sound was out of sync immediately. Oh and he just leapt up yeah, and ran. I, I saw this tiny figure, and it was clearly right. him. Just go Bing, and run like to the projection. <laughs> Not today, Satan. And, yeah, no. Like this, and this is 1995, yeah. and this right. is all of the world is going wrong for him all the time and he still manages to pull these amazing works of art out of this insane chaos and like even the fact that he was working with Universal 10 years after Brazil where they just Mm -hmm. gutted this movie we talked about that
1: yeah Brazil remains in my top it's all it's been my favorite it was my favorite film for such a long time that I feel weird about saying it's my favorite film in the way that you would like should be getting a get tired of a tattoo probably because like (laughs) you've changed and like the light like life has moved on but like that movie, also in a way, like really, brought, brought like cinema to another level for me as as I think as an actor and as an audience member to see like what I could expect out of that out of this medium. Right. What what kind of imagination a human being can? It's a thing of like you watch like an incredible like a beautiful sequence in a movie and you're like, gee, Galley, how did that? How did that come from somebody? How did how did somebody? Did they articulate that in the exact way that they... Because it looks like it's... Yeah. It looks like it's probably as well articulated as it could be. Is that how that person imagined that? And, like, what kind of words did they have to use to express, like, I want it to be... I want the person to be, like, moving with like through the cloud and then fly through... like And then, like, I want the cloud to be, like, this shape, and then they want them to move through the cloud at this exact angle and pop up. And then you see a wing first, but then you don't see the face, but you see... Like, what did they have to say, or like, how did it, to be able to get that image on screen, like that kind of thing. And Terry seems like one of these, one of these directors who has such a, an immense visual vocabulary that like. I mean, yeah. I imagine he just never gets bored. It seems like one of those people who just could never be bored in life. He doodles compulsively. I yeah, who like
0: constantly he gets, is... he gets sketchy. He like yeah, starts to
1: just write things down. It makes and I, so much sense.
0: And I think that's how he becomes that director too. Because right, right. Working in animation in the '60s, where it's all handmade, he mm-hmm. was literally doing everything. Right. So he knows how to do it. Right. And I think that plus the 50 millimeter lens, like his reliance on that yeah. flat proscenium sort of thing, yeah, has always been to his advantage as a as a creator because if you can't do what he wants he can show you how and as far as I know he's not like the James Cameron kind of engineer Mm -hmm. who it's like do it or get out of the way right Gilliam is much more collaborative Collaborative. no actor has ever had a negative thing to say about him and Uh, just you know the fact that when when Heath Ledger died on on Parnassus he could he could just recruit three other actors (laughs) to jump in and help out the second half and, and also to
1: have the mind to think like I refuse to give up on this thing in fact I'm going to just change it. Yeah, this is the That's answer. kind of like lack, you know, like you see somebody when when somebody's something great about somebody, there's always this like little piece of it is that they're like they're not precious. I I find I find this with like really great actors that I've worked with or like really wonderful directors who I've worked with. There's been this there's this incredible kind of like laissez-faire attitude about things. Like if something's not going well, instead of dwelling, you mm-hmm. just simply change direction. Right. And that's that I don't understand how that happens because I I don't know how to do that. Right. Yeah, as a human being. But it feels like something that's kind of like elevated and like monk monkish.
0: Yeah, I think it's just knowing the ultimate goal Yeah, for him. maybe right? it's like that, he, yeah. he knows what the movie's going to look like when it's finished.
1: Right, right. And so,
0: we'll get there. You know, yeah. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah, with any luck. Yeah, and if you've seen Lost in La Mancha, you know what happens mm-hmm. when it doesn't get there. He, he has that giggle that kicks yeah, in every right. time. Oh, we're all going to die. We're doomed. This is great. Yeah. He's going to enjoy the ride somehow, and I, yeah. I've... I have no idea how you get to that point, like that kind of zen where you're okay with chaos. It's
1: just failing so much. Yeah. It's just like having such a real experience of failing so severely, so frequently. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, you know what? I know how low it can go. So like may as well just kind of keep trucking because like we're not there yet.
0: Yeah. Mm And the Fisher King weirdly enough is the film that people don't think about because it's mm. it's not his I guess it is his least Gilliam-y movie other than the Red Knight there's not much that's right there's like nothing it's, it's pretty gritty it's pretty realistic yes yeah it
1: finds a frame for his flights of fancy yeah but and feels actually kind of like I mean he's always vaguely sentimental but there's something about that movie that feels very kind of like sentimental in like a very linear kind of like Norman like normal way where you can kind of like you can figure it you're like oh i see and i see and that makes sense and this makes sense and yeah there's nothing like hyper fantastical about it that or the things that are fantastical are excused they're they're provided for right this is part of his madness yeah so like that's why we're seeing this. yeah the grand central station dance number
0: yeah uh, and that elaborate i i'm constantly amazed at like coming back to the Fisher King yeah. over and over again over the years this is 25 years old now which is unthinkable to yeah. me uh, at how weirdly once again like it's completely relevant yeah. um, America's failure to deal with mental illness mm-hmm. and and it opens with a, a mass shooting and it's right. just right. all these things and talk radio uh, aggressive talk radio yeah. nothing's changed it still feels at like the moment the only right. thing that's missing is a cell phone Yeah, and it's and also the just the incredible Cynical depiction of television executives. Yeah. It's all there. Like nothing has changed. It's yeah. it's,
1: it's weirdly pressing. So depressing, and yeah. also just like, well, we'll get through this, right? You know, there's something kind of like sort of optimistic about the, the whole the whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing that that I find so so weird and funny about it is I I can never remember. I never remember how it ends until I've until I've like just about gotten to the ending again. and, and I've seen the movie now I don't even maybe like five or six times. Okay. There's something about that where like, you know, I there are these moments that have kind of like found their way into my own like little mythology, like, you know. Also thinking about like Amanda Plummer. I'm like, where is she where did she go? Yeah. There's something about her that's so like wonderful and 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 so perfectly innocent and like vaguely frightening and like, yeah. <laughs> and, and also there's something about her that as, you know, in, in relation to like Robin Williams character, you're like, you, cause you see his, his wife in this like former life that he lives yeah. as like this, as this Hunter college professor. And she's, and she kind of fills this very kind of like prototypical, like, you know, arm candy of, like, this beautiful, like, bouncing blonde kind of, like, you know, you imagine them at these, like, bougie restaurants, like, living the high life, and now there's something about as he's changed, as he's kind of gone through this, like, massive, you know, as he has gone through loss and has sort of lost, you know, also lost his mind, <laughs> uh, his, like, his preference has... Changed or something, or he sees you get I me. Mean, don't you don't get to know his this other wife, but you get to see Amanda Plummer's character. It's like this deeply flawed, like deeply human, you know, busybody who's like who works in an office who is effectively anonymous. And there's something about that and her idiosyncrasies and her like lack of her inability to sort of just do the thing like it's supposed to like, as it's supposed to be done. Yeah. That they, she's like off, you know, like outside of the lines and like off, quite off the rail. Something about that is what's appealing to him now, and he sees this like almost like this kind of perfection in her, and the fact that she she can't conform, which is really something about that is so. I've always I always thought it was so lovely, and and yet she's like you can kind of get her. There's nothing that's like. It's so articulate and so specific that you can kind of, when he's like confessing his love to her or whatever that is. Yeah. On the steps, it's like coffee, that little coffee monologue. Something about that, that feels so, that feels so like, so precise and really like, everybody can get that. There's a, there, It's like this, you know, this, <laughs> what is it? What did you say? Like I have a, A hard on for you the size of Florida. Yes, it's just ah, it's so good. That's so wonderful. Anyway, the
0: little moments where Robin Williams kind of infects the character in exactly the right way. Yeah, Perry is. And again, it's the thing where you have something that pre-exists. I mean, it was a script by the revenues. It was, yeah. It was not necessarily written for Williams. Yeah. But it couldn't have been played by the time the film is over. There's yeah. no one else you can imagine. Like even right. and Bridges is phenomenal. Right. But that's a role that you could drop yeah, you somebody else kinda, into.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It
0: right. Wouldn't, it wouldn't. It has that like altered. kind of like Eric
1: Bogosian like talk radio vibe anyway. Sure. Like you can yeah. throw like. Anybody with a big personality who can cry, yeah, you're like great. That's perfect. That's like Liev Schreier. That's like any of those kind of like bros, right? Which Jeff Bridges does. I mean, not just that he doesn't do like a, a great job with yeah. it, but yeah. But
0: there's a, an element of swagger that's sort of generic. I think. Yeah, it's exactly. Like yeah. The role is the role is any guy who's kind of like that,
1: right? And, right. Yeah, Which, and,
0: and Bridges. I think only Bridges could do that weird little eyelid twitch oh in extreme close up. <laughs> I asked him about that once. I, really? Yeah. I, I, my incredible. <laughs> Right. My, my incredible luck to have I've interviewed except for Williams who I only glancingly saw once in a, in a restaurant oh, uh, right. I have interviewed everybody else who was involved with it yeah. and um, Bridges is like yeah that took no time at all you just you just find it and yeah. I'm like what do you even mean what, that's, yeah. that's, that's actor talk tell me how
1: you did it and right he's just like, eh. he's like and that is it
0: yeah <laughs> no he just said like by the time they shot it he
1: knew how to do it and yeah. It's like okay I guess but that's really frustrating Right. More. right well it's <laughs> interesting how that kind of I think in any other movie that character would have been, you know, this, you know, kind of, I guess I don't know how to how to put it, like maybe the like a character a character actor's opus, like somebody that could like really get in there and get, but because he's surrounded by such eccentricities, he yeah. he becomes a straight man. He has
0: to. Yeah, he has it's to. Grounded.
1: Yeah, and I think something about that is kind of. Also, I think that's that's also a sign of like a great actor for Jeff Bridges' ability. To kind of like move over a little bit, knowing that he is the centerpiece of the film right. in a way, he's also able to kind of give due space and time to all of the greatness around him. Yeah, you know, there's something about that that's sort of one of those unspoken things that, like, as an actor, you kind of understand when you're only when you're in like relationship to another, another person, another actor.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because Williams, there are two films. There's this and there's Goodwill Hunting where. Yeah. The movie doesn't start out to be about him. He's yeah. not even a factor. And then all of a sudden you realize about two-thirds of the way through, it's like, I'm like, like, oh, it's, way more invested.
1: Yeah, right. Like, yeah. and I can't stop paying attention yeah. to everything
0: that he's doing. Yeah, and it's not Matt Damon's fault and Goodwill Hunting, right. and it's not like the movie's name for him. Right, and, right, uh, right. And, and it certainly Bridges carries um, the Fisher King. Right. But somehow, just, I, I'm... There's no overbearing aspect of it. Yeah. Williams just comes in and takes over in a way that feels absolutely organic. And clearly that's the movie's intention. Yeah. But I remember sitting through it the first time in um, a tiny press screening in uh, in a basement in the old Famous Player Screening Room in Toronto because it was playing at TIFF. Oh, wow. yeah. And Columbia had this early screening for us in August. and yeah. So we went there and saw this movie in the dark and just came out two and a quarter hours later just blown was away. Was everyone excited like, then? We just... No, no one knew anything nobody, about it. It was like, yeah. oh, this is the new Gilliam film. Okay, cool. But at that time... What had
1: just preceded... Like, what, where was he in his... He
0: was he was the troubled... The, drub- right. the gargantuan troubled auteur who had made Couldn't. Brazil and then Baron Munchausen. Right, right, right. Uh, this colossal misfire. Yeah. But, like, publicly determined to be the critic. No one went to see it and the critics were mixed. Yeah. So, it's like, well, this is his film where he proves he can make a movie again yeah. with a studio. Right. And it turns out to be... Maybe not his masterpiece, but certainly the the best contemporary project he's ever done. Yeah. And you just walk out going, oh, well, so that was great. Yeah, yeah. And we all had to go be quiet by ourselves for a little while. Right, and right, then it, right. it wins the People's Choice Award uh-huh. and picks up a little momentum. Now, of course, that would mean that the studio gets behind it and puts your ship for the Oscars. Yeah, but right. it, it got, what did it did? It won Best Supporting Actress for Mercedes', yeah, for Mercedes, Rule, Mercedes right? role. Yeah. Who we haven't even mentioned yet, who's uh, equally as great as being the straight character oh, God. as Bridges is in a way that, does, like, that's the thing about the movie. No one is the straight person, really, because yeah. everyone is allowed to be invested fully in their weird eccentricities and idiosyncrasies yeah. and rule. I mean, I remember being really surprised when she got the nomination, but because it's this big, brassy, loud... Right. But she's also as much of a truth-teller as Perry is in her way. Like, her oh, purpose yeah. in the
1: story is to serve dignity and honesty. Well, there's something about that that's so... You know when you get to watch a character who lets themselves kind of be peeled away mm-hmm. in a way that's like it's really. It re- I think it really is like the more stuff that I see, the more I realize it's there's something about that that is so that has such artistry in it. The 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 kind of ability and also like because like I don't know how that was shot, but I imagine it wasn't sequential. And no, to, to be, there's now. no possible Those way big production numbers. Yeah, <laughs> that like right. there's there there's a way that. And, and also the you know the way that her her stuff was so kind of like um in a way like isolated through the through the storyline like she has these really like kind of like little little bit like little piecemeal here and there and gets like then gets a big thing and then like piecemeal piecemeal and then like a big thing yeah. and um just to kind of plot that as a just to, for her to have plotted that so intelligently and like and find and find like the little kernels of that character that by the time she is able to kind of confess her love and is just so desperately wanting to have it you know returned to to be so heartbroken by that by that it's 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 she like each character has like a perfect moment of heartbreak in that movie you know um you know it's I think for Amanda Plummer it's that moment on the steps where you know with the with, where where Robin Williams has that like perfect confession of like you know how he doesn't he doesn't even drink coffee and he doesn't need to stay over but you know he just he just wants to see her again and, and having that little that little <laughs> little hope re-enter her life is just so re- like it's so rewarding for the like for I mean for me it, it was and 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 then there's like this like little quiet moment I actually missed it last when I was rewatching this where it's like Robin Williams it was, when he wakes wakes up from his uh from his coma right. in the hospital after like also like how weird that he gets you know the like after like you think of like Terry Gilliam and like the holy grail and you're like he gets a grail in this it's yeah. a little bit Let's see. Yeah, like, let's, but let's go for it. Sure, fine, great. And of course, it's not a holy grail. It's just like some. What is it? Like some commemorative like commemorative cup from like some Christmas something from like the twenties that this old man won. He's like, well, this'll do. Yeah. Because the really doesn't have to be real. It's like it's it's everything has such a symbolic significance in the movie. So like you you know yeah Robin Williams like wakes up after you know receiving his Holy Grail and Jeff Bridges has collapsed on him and sleeps on him overnight. I think is the idea, and Robin Williams just wakes up and whispers, which I I think I've missed almost every time. Which I so much so that I had to go back and like I was like wait what did, did he say something that I missed there. And I think I've done it because I realized I was like, I've done this before. And I went back and like, I Googled the script, had to scroll through the script and I was like, what did he say in that moment? And mm-hmm. it's something like, maybe you remember, but I but <laughs> like, but it's something like, um, um, uh, I miss, I miss her, Jack. Is it okay to miss her now? Yeah. And it's just like, Oh God. Uh like now he can now, now he can begin to grieve. Yeah. And all the madness that he's been that he's been kind of going through in his life is just he doesn't he doesn't. It's a, it's a thing of like he just doesn't want to accept that he's lost her. Well, yeah, I mean, like, certainly just disappearing
0: into the fugue. It's it's hinted, if not explicitly stated, that yeah. all of this is related to his trauma. But also right. the, I think just the fact of the Grail being a psychosomatic cure. Yeah, right kind of nails it at the end it's like yep now this is what happens when you can't process like he's he's shut down his rational self and now he can start to become a person again which which I I, I'm fascinated by that too because it means that like Perry which wasn't even his real name he was calling himself that for Percival uh, who is this guy, really? We mm-hmm. never really get to meet him. No. Uh, is he going to be a dick to the new girlfriend? Right, like, right,
1: right. How's that, right, like? right. How's that right. Gonna work? How does, yeah, how does, like, sane Perry operate? Was he a jerk? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and this is, like, and... time bandits ends with
0: Kevin's parents dying. Right, and right, And kids right. abandoned
1: and alone. It's, like, mm-hmm. that's in line with... Uh, well, this is the thing with, with the movie them. that I keep forgetting, is I'm, like, every, like I said, every time I watch the damn thing, I keep forgetting. I'm, like, does it end... It, I think it ends... Terribly with like Jeff Bridge, like with Jeff Bridges character, just being like getting back on track and like back on his feet. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go live my life. And now you've given me like, I've had this time to like get my act together and now I don't need you anymore and I'm gone. And for some reason, I always forget that there's like this whole like redemptive end to yeah. it where like the, like the last 20 minutes we, we have to watch him be redeemed. Which because it is kind of like this weird quest movie, you yeah, know. It's, so, yeah. yeah, it's just like you're like, wait, is this like am I just watching this kind of like, you know, sort of uh uh dystopic sort of like rom com? Or is it like no, there's actually something very real and kind of like driven about the quest of this movie, about everybody desperate, like everybody moving towards something. Whether it be like, you know, toward finding a a, an actual holy grail or right. or something more subtle like how to how to move on past like your own grief yeah it's, it's kind just, of remarkable isn't yeah it? it's like, really beautiful and I, it's one of those movies I can kind of sometimes I have trouble watching movies more than once because I sort of like fi- I start finding the flaws and it makes me angry <laughs> I'm just like right. let's just gloss over this I know it wasn't perfect but like let's just sort of appreciate it for what it was and like not talk about it anymore right but this is one of those movies you kind of you can kind of go back to and it, it, it's sort of Keeps revealing little, little, little moments and little pieces that are just really something that struck me about it. Watching it this last time was the was the sequence at the the, the Chinese rest. There's like the sequence at yeah. the Chinese restaurant, which also was wonderful because I can't tell. It's like what is this like? Did he intend for the shot to be so janky? If you there's like this wonderful thing. I think he's like he he's on like he's he's like dollying through the restaurant because also as he pulls back, you see that there are like chairs and tables that are oriented in a way that there was no straight shot for him to go backwards. So as you you see he's like probably like weaving through these these tables um uh, and somehow it's it remains sort of steady, but not really. It's actually bumping along the yeah. the restaurant, which I thought was like unbelievably funny. And like I kind of I, I just I I have to assume it was on purpose. Like let's just assume. But even if it wasn't, for him to just be like, you know what, that's like where they're at as people. So like let's just let's just keep it because it's a great shot, yeah. you know. And the way that it's it's articulated is like this wonderful little like it's like this you know like this four shot, and they're all sitting at the table eating, and it's insane. And also, it's a wonderful a wonderful thing that I realized last night. I was like, oh, this was almost all improvised. You can also you can you can tell when great actors are improvising and when. The director was like, just have fun. Yeah. And he's just like, probably just put the like put the camera and just left it like left it rolling for like 10 minutes or so and then just spliced it together. This whole sequence of like Amanda Plummer trying to desperately get the low main off of the big plate onto her small plate, but then not knowing when to stop. Yeah. And like kind of like, you know, as as you do with noodle dishes, you sort of like try to like pull it apart, but it pulls a big bundle onto your plate instead. But she has no sort of, like, social, like, cues. So she just kind of keeps letting it pour out onto her plate. And then this, like, perfect back and forth that, like, she and she and Perry have, like, whacking this, like, broccoli back and forth across the table. And then you see Robin Williams kind of getting into that improvisational place where he's just playing with her. And then, like, the two, like, you know, Jeff Bridges and Mercedes are, are, Mercedes are there just kind of, like, audience members to this to this perfect little like comedic sketch that they're devising and then I feel like there's something about that that felt so organic and so unscripted which I think it must have been just mm-hmm. by the look of it um, and then you pull out and as 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 Terry like pulls out and weaves through the restaurant as you're as you're pulling back, you realize that the entire, that whoever remains in the, in the restaurant, which seems to be probably, probably like the lone waiter who like has been just like desperately trying to get home since like whenever the hell time he was, his shift was over. And then like a couple strag a couple other stragglers, they're all kind of, it's everything is, they're all, everybody's chairs and tables are directed toward, their table in a way that it seems like that's, that's like the show that this is, this is the show and everybody's sort of in on it, which in a, in a way is like not, not anything like super intellectual. It doesn't feel like, but there's something about that, that there's something so theatrical about real life sometimes that he's able to articulate it in such a way that I was like, Oh, this is beautiful. It gives like Robin a stage to do his thing and also it's part of this like perfect kind of flirtation that I just remember like, as I was watching it again I was like oh this is like so hard to tell somebody to do you just have to like put the right people in the right place and just say like here you go and I feel like even then there's like this this little like addendum on that scene where they like bust out through the back and you only see their shadows it's a beautiful shot where like they're the like Mercedes and Jeff are, are heading out through, the, like, what seems to be, like, the back door of, in, like, Soho or something because it's, like, these massive cobblestone streets. And he does this kind of, like, Dick Tracy sort of massive, like, shadow on a, big, on a big wall. And so everything is kind of, like, hyper-pronounced and they're giggling and laughing and you watch them kind of fall in love again right after this moment in that Chinese restaurant sequence where her, like, bra strap has, has dropped and she puts it back up and he pulls it back down. It's, like, these little, like, you know mini flirtations within this like within something so much bigger and that's and then they go home and you're like oh that's so incredible just through like that one gesture and from them for the two of them able to laugh together and both kind of meet in the same place after you watch them kind of like scrambling throughout the movie to just connect in a real way you watch it it's not through anything that they that They've done it's actually them as as audience members to this other love affair yeah. that has them falling back in love again, and there's something about that that's so that's so it's so so lovely <laughs> like <laughs> it gets me it really got me this time because it's so it's just it's just simple and it's really beautiful and it's really hard to allow actors to do that and also find a director who can live in that space and have it be sort of so subtle and anyway
0: yeah it doesn't feel like a studio picture it doesn't feel mm. like uh, not
1: like at all whatever it would have been pitched as right right like, right. how do you even see yeah, it? what would have that like what was that meeting what was it he's like I got this idea <laughs> like go on yeah Like, got this guy right yeah. he's crazy yeah, and then
0: right. it's God. like give it to Gilliam he'll make it work yeah it's,
1: right right it's,
0: it is such a bizarre sell to I mean, if you remember the posters at the time, were this weird mashup of yeah. images with yeah. like a shot of bridges in a corner, and yeah, yeah, just, what is this movie? And and it ultimately became like the Criterion Laserdisc was just a shot of. Uh, Bridges kind of holding on to Williams as he goes spinning off. That was the oh, thing, like I haven't the, seen that yeah. in the olden days of, of Criterion. The lizardists yeah. would just use a still; they wouldn't go with posters, right, right. And it was an illustrative image, and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what this is. There's this maniac yeah. trying to pull Jeff Bridges into doing something, <laughs> right, and right, he, right? That's how you sell it. But yeah, I remember trying to explain it to people at the time. I was like, well, is it a big fantasy? He's like, kind. of yeah right and the title with Terry Gilliam's name on it makes you expect a big medieval film but right. it's not that at all except that it also is <laughs> right but right it's it's. yeah right it's still an impossible sell mm-hmm. like, to explain to people you have to see it to understand the tone
1: yeah it's one of those it, it, it feels like if he if he wasn't who he was that movie wouldn't have been made yeah it's like you almost have to just be like well, it's, it's a you, Gilliam will do it yeah it's like somebody with that kind of, like, it's, it's just somebody with that kind of, like, rigorous imagination can make this thing come to life. um, And get people to trust him, I think, and yeah, get the actors right. to
0: do that. Because Williams right. was, this is 1991, he was all over the place, he was yeah. doing dramas, he was doing comedies, he'd just done Dead Poets Society the year yep. before. Yeah. It's not where you expect to end up. <laughs> right,
1: right. I think I was watching the Larry, the Larry Sanders show, where he was, like, one of these, like, you know faux guests and that was like I think that was in 92 or something and I was just like that was the first thing that struck me too I was like God where was Robin Williams at this time? was like I think it was 92 or 93 must have been I don't forget when that show started I think it was 92 I think so yeah and he comes and he's like you know he's on the Larry Sanders show in this Full green suit with dyed blonde hair, and I'm just like, was this like? I'm like, you know, because Robin, he was, he did, he was so prolific and did so many different things. Yeah, they were like, was this like Mork and Mindy time, or was this like this time, or like when? When was this movie? I'm like, what is he? How did the public perceive him at that time? I and mean, like, did anybody ever have a grasp on him? Like as. As a as like a was he always just this kind of arbitrary kind of like clown or was That's he? That's
0: absolutely how he was. Like the the late seventies introduced him yeah. that way, and he yeah. he just because the I think the nature of his talk show persona yeah. was to babble. Yeah, that right. was always who he was. And, yeah, You know, like he never you never saw the depressive side
1: in never. public. He would right. talk
0: about he would reference it, but then laugh it off.
1: Right. In interviews,
0: right. and he's someone who's you know it's, his story is incredibly fascinating it's the, the the first comedy album he did has this little throwaway where he asks the audience for a suggestion and someone says Mork and whether or not it was written like whether or not this was banked for him Are you just like yeah he just says no no that's why I do this is to do something different and it's right. just like yeah that sounds sad yeah. but it actually sounds like he's pained that he has to explain it this to people
1: Yeah. that he, yeah.
0: he gets you know, this is the, the curse of the Fonz too right? like Gary right. Marshall was so good at packaging things that you yep. do that show and you become that thing
1: right and he's like no I'm not I, it, and then you spend an entire career like trying to disavow that one thing that like people will remember you for, yeah. which I think he did pretty well, to be fair. Yeah, by because my God, look at that! I mean, look at you want to talk about like an oeuvre? Look at that guy! Like what he was, what he was able to accomplish is astonishing. And it's just like it's like, it, and you think about it in terms of like careers today, and you're like, who, who would be given the liberty to do, a, 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 or who has like the who's proactive and like off the wall enough that they could maybe like who would you compare that to like James Franco and he's a lunatic yeah. like bless his
0: heart but like but he's, I think that's why he pulls off and I think that's does. the thing it's yeah. like
1: don't you dare put me in. like don't put baby in a corner like it's there's he's like I refuse to be perceived as this Yeah. so I will do everything in my power to just, like, fend off, you know, yeah, that that kind of, like, the box.
0: But he had that thing, too, the need to be loved. Yeah. The desperation to be loved by an audience, which yeah. led to stuff like Jack and Jacob the Lion. <laughs> right, line, right. Really mawkish stuff that yeah. doesn't work. Right, right, right. But in The Fisher King, the desperation's part of the character. So yeah. So it works. It, I mean, it you really actually is. just feed he's feeding that thing in himself or it's feeding him right and you you there's so much pain there's so much yeah. sadness and misery in, in perry that you just want him it's one of those movies where again with as with terry gilliam i want everything to be okay and even though i know it probably won't <laughs> right right and that's right. that's the vibe of a gilliam film too yeah. this sort of clear-eyed hope Right, um, Brazil, Munchausen—you know like yeah. these
1: films don't end well for their no, heroes. No, no, not at all. But
0: this one, and
1: I think, but that's there's such why, like a deep hope that still resonates within that, like within the character. You're yeah. like. Well, I don't know if I can keep going, but he'll keep going. Yeah, you know, there's something about that that's like really flips it on its head, and you're just like, you're still, you end up still rooting for somebody, even though des- You see how desperately the odds are stacked against them. Yeah, as people, yeah, it's like what happens now. Like, so now, so now, Robin Williams has, like woken up from his coma. His wife is dead, but he's like, but the hope is there. The hope is now alive that he can move forward somehow. Like, yeah. you will give him the, even though you just know, if this was a real person in the real world, that that person would be doomed to, like, you know, endless hours of, like, you know, ther- of, like, a shock therapy. I mean, I, I yeah, don't even I, know what you think to of, like...
0: to the earth in misery, right? Yeah, just, like, doomed what to, What he's like, already been doing, but now with self-awareness, which is even which worse. Which is even worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's something about that that's... It, 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 you, know, But somehow, he kind of, like, frames it in a way that you're like... Let's be hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, he's got, God, he's got Jack. It.
0: He's got a support system now yeah. that he didn't have before. Right. And th- this is the thing that fascinates me. Why does Terry Gilliam need to make a Don Quixote movie? This yeah. is it. Right. He did it.
1: Yeah, he um, did it. Yeah. And
0: it. And he cured the guy, so it's okay. Right, I right. Mean, I suppose if you look at it, both Brazil and Munchausen are also about... Sort of questing figures that, yep. that achieve the or de- determined to achieve the impossible. Yeah. Uh, Twelve Monkeys, not so much, even though there is a quest narrative there. Right, right. Um, oh, this is... I know I've told this story. Uh, <laughs> the, the When I was at the um, Junket, uh, Chuck rog- Roven, the, pr- the producer, mm-hmm. Roven and Gilliam were seated together. For, yeah. the, for the round table and they started arguing over what the ending of Twelve Monkeys means. Oh God! Uh, Rovan's like somebody. People, not everyone understood the film because wait, how does it end? The yeah, 90s. I your... Oh, it's on the after the Vertigo thing. After yeah, after right. Willis watches the young Willis watches his older self get Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, who is it? David Morse, I think, sits down on an airplane. To depart from Baltimore Airport and sits down to one of the scientists from the future who says her name is Jones.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in
0: insurance,
1: right? That's the last line. Oh, God. Oh, it's so messed up.
0: Yeah, but so what what we are presumed to be because the whole point of the time travel was that they needed the pure sample of the virus, so that's she's insurance. She's the insurance policy in case coal fails. Right, So she's there to save the future. Right. And, And Roven starts saying well, no, not necessarily. I mean, maybe she's there to stop the virus there. Maybe they're going to stop it from getting out and it won't spread any further. And Gilliam started like sitting at the table going, no, no, Chuck, everybody dies. Yeah. We talked about this. <laughs> billions of people. It says so at the beginning of my movie. It says. Billions of people die, And they're yeah. fighting over it. And it's like, right. I love you so much and I will follow you. Over, every-
1: yeah, like everywhere you go.
0: <laughs> pushing for this upbeat, downbeat ending. Yeah. It was so great. And. And now, like, seeing what he's still trying to accomplish and he's right. doing the Quixote thing again. Yeah. Um, right, zero, right. Zero Theorem, yeah, you can take it or leave it. Yeah, but I did see it. It's definitely a Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah. Like, he made the movie he wanted to make. It's set in this gargantuan old European church. And I saw the whole, like, visuals. Like, right, right. And Matt Damon, who... Uh, worked with him on Brothers Grimm which was butchered by Miramax but yeah. probably wasn't all that great to begin with <laughs> like again it's it's this lush beautiful production but it's right. messy and you can sort of tell that Gilliam didn't have full control over what he wanted to do yeah. but that that, that uh, Damon and Ledger both worked with him again and yeah. would contribute and clearly Ledger would have still been collaborating with him because they were they were totally in sync you can yeah. feel it yeah. in, in Parnassus yeah um, Christopher Plummer had nothing but great things to say about him, and Christopher Plummer doesn't have great things to say about anybody.
1: I know, yeah. It's
0: it's just yeah. He's like he's one of my favorite humans, not just people, but I want him to work forever and whatever he's doing. I want the Quixote thing to happen, but if it doesn't, we still have this,
1: right, right. And
0: it is like it's the best articulation I think that we're ever going to get of it from Terry Gilliam.
1: Yeah, that fits within the kind of like mainstream mold that you can kind of like watch it and appreciate it and not have to go and like pull out the encyclopedia to be like so what was this and what is he trying to how are we gonna yeah. you, you, know? you know it is. also has that thing that's like so it feels like every great book you've ever read where there's something about it that seems so much bigger than it is maybe it's maybe that's the thing that like really draws me consistently draws me to it hmm. or draws me back to it there's like i was saying earlier but kind of like you know there's still new layers that you're kind of peeling back it's it's uh, it, 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 it becomes a tricky thing unless you kind of like find these like masterpieces, which I don't know if this is like a masterpiece. It's some, it's somewhere in the vein of like a great work, but there is something about it that he almost, you know, it, it's like you tell you can tell it's not James Cameron directing the movie because he didn't want it, he didn't need it to be this kind of like grand statement on yeah. humanity. Instead, it, instead it ends up being this kind of like,
0: you know,
1: it it feels it 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 feels kind of like a. a a chamber quartet's version of like a grand statement on humanity. Yeah. You know, it's like bigger stuff is outside the frame. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's something else there's some there's something else that he's going that he's going for that feels in a way that can be kinda like you know, uh uh I don't know, maybe it's 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 it maybe it is his like a version of his opus or something. There's like I don't you know, maybe there's something grand and magnum about it. I can see that. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I can
0: certainly... I mean, I guess we have to see what else is left, what else he's he's got coming. But yeah, Yeah, as as far as it goes, this is just... I think anybody would be proud to have it on their shelf as as an accomplishment. Right. So then this brings us to the the closer, which is also always the same question, uh, which is what of the film have you borrowed or stolen or internalized? What of the Fisher King has made it into your creative DNA? Oh,
1: gosh. I mean it's it's really it's it's hard not to just make it exclusively about Robin Williams at this point okay. from like <laughs> think, thinking about thinking about how incredible it is to watch a human being allow themselves to be vulnerable and how that's something that is like really it's like a a daily work as a human being, let alone like as an actor to just allow yourself to be so thin skinned, which is like, you know, it runs completely counter to everything you're instructed to do as a person to Mm -hmm. be able to get by in the world. It's like toughen up, make sure you don't like, don't let things, don't let it sticks and stones. And like, you know, there's something about, about that, that, um, you watch you watch somebody like Robin Williams perform, and you know in, when you're talking about clowning i've had like the the wonderful privilege to do that to do clowning and work with really great clowns in my you know in my in my days <laughs> and there's there's something there's a there's a really lovely idea that we talk about in in terms of clowning that you have to be the um a skinless grape okay it's <laughs> just just like. I feel like is it, if you just I mean it's just something if you close your eyes for a second and think about a, a skinless grape I think you don't know, I don't even have to say I don't have to say anything about it yeah. It's just like you get it and It's like you're so it's to not not only not not even a not even a grape that has skin on it that is that vulnerable that can be like squished and mashed and thrown with such with such ease but actually take the skin off of that and it's even it's that much more delicate and there's something about great clowns that that they're so they're so able they have such an ability to be affected and such an innocence about them that when you put it in the package of a of of a of, of like a um a character like you know a okay let's 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 take this little grape that has no skin on it and let's make him a college professor who has recently lost his wife because of like a um in a in a mass shooting and let's tell let's put let's let's throw that up and see what lands Mm -hmm. and then you put and then you like take you know robin williams and put that narrative um let like let him play with it and you come and you have this character that is so that is such like depth and such kind of like gravitas and also is like a little boy And there's that's it's like this, it's this impossible balance, which like no, no teacher can teach, like no, like no amount of war, like words can explain, but there's something about it when you watch, when you watch somebody great doing something that seems just along with like so much else that he's done, but seems in this particular character to be so like elevated (laughs) and so vulnerable and so broken and so, like, optimistic and so ashamed and these, like, really incredible kind of, like, uh, like, opposite ideas. There's something about watching that that is, like... As an audience member, it makes makes me excited and makes me, like, cry. It makes me cry. It makes me, like, you know, just empathize so deeply with him. And then, like, as an actor, I'm just like, golly, that's something to aim toward. You know, that's something to, like, look at and be like, wow, that... That's 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 impressive. Yeah. So I think it's you know to 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 allow yourself to be impressed. I mean for me that's something that like I, it still keeps me going. I'm like when I watch something great, I'm like, geez. Well maybe I maybe at some point that's something I could do. Like maybe if I really, <laughs> dig in deep. And that's so I think that's something I take away from it as I watch. You can be, you can, that could be said for almost everybody in the movie, but there's something about Rob, Robin that feels really also knowing what what his life was and knowing how the little bits and pieces that we have of like the 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 pain and the and the anxiety and the and the incredible artistry that came out of that and you look and you watch that I think it's so fully realized in that character in this character of Perry that you you see all of the you can see the joy and and the sadness and the optimism and the despair and all of that wrapped up that's it's really hard to watch, but also really illuminating. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see that. Yeah. So. Also jokes about bowel movements. You gotta put those in there. You gotta you gotta get you gotta get some poop jokes in there, or you're gonna you're really doomed. He makes him land. <laughs> Literally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My thanks to Aaron Costiganis, whom you can see in Tim Kirkman's Lazy Eye right now on iTunes and on other VOD platforms. And you should. It's a good movie for a slow holiday week, and he's really great in it. Thanks also to Jonah Blackman. He knows what he did. You can find Aaron on Twitter at Aaron Costiganis, all one word, and you can find The Fisher King on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection, finally, and for sale or Rental on iTunes and Google Play. It remains as magnificent now as it was 25 years ago. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S E M Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. Have a Happy New Year, and thanks for listening.